it's great to see you guys this morning. Um, we are continuing our series on the way. We've kind of been chopping through this over the year, and we're in Matthew 6. And we're going to just get to the end of Matthew 6 this year, and then we're going to try and do Matthew 7 next year. There's so much to get through, so dense, um, but some really, really awesome teaching um, by Jesus. And we're saying Jesus has come to save us, but also to show us the way of life and how to live and have life with him. And this week is everyone's favorite topic to talk about in church, is money. So I get the privilege of <laughs> doing that. So if you're here the first time, this is not what we talk about every week. And in some ways, it's actually kind of awkward to talk about in church. I know probably, perhaps everyone has had an experience of being in a church or some kind of ministry situation where the discussion around money has just not felt right, uh, the way it's been dealt with, or maybe there's been pressure or guilt, and then that's really not good, and that's not at all what we want to do. But sometimes we go to the other extreme, and I feel like this as well, we kind of feel so awkward, but they just don't want to talk about it, just don't want to deal with it. We kind of think that's sort of kind of a personal issue that it can be misunderstood so much in church, let's just avoid it. But the interesting thing, as we go through the Bible and we just say, let's see what Jesus wants to talk about, Jesus wants to talk about money. So <laughs> that's why we're talking about it. And, and interestingly, the Bible has a lot to say about money, and, and Jesus has quite a lot to say. And, and when I say money, I don't just mean like cash. I mean like treasure or, or possessions as well, or wealth. Um, Jesus has a lot of things to say. The New Testament writers have a lot of things to say. And, and this is an incredibly important topic that we really do need to talk about. Um, perhaps even more so for us um, living in Australia, in, in Western culture, that is quite materialistic. And really very wealthy. Sometimes we may not think of ourselves as wealthy, but compared to most of the world, we're incredibly wealthy. Um, you can do this thing online, you might have heard of it called Global Rich List, where you put in your annual income and it ranks you out of the percentage of the world, what percentage you're in. And if, if you're even just on like a minimum wage in Australia, it's still like the top few percent in the world. Um, now that doesn't translate directly because the cost of living is different and so forth, but for a lot of purposes, we live in a quite a wealthy society. Um, and, and therefore, we really need to grapple with what Jesus has to say about money and treasures and wealth. And the passage that we're looking at today is kind of more down the path of a warning um, or the dangers. And we looked at the, the section we've just sort of finished has also been about dangers in a different way. Jesus has been talking about the dangers of living for the approval of people. We talked about he talks about not praying to be seen by people or not giving to be seen by people, not fasting to be seen by people, but do it so that God sees you in secret. And Jesus wasn't saying it's wrong to live for approval. He was saying whose approval is what matters. People's approval is a bad idea. Living for God's approval is freedom and life and intimacy and, and joy. And he's got a similar thing to say about money. Again, there's some dangers, but Jesus, the goal is not to make us afraid or to guilt trip us. The goal is to keep us from actually a dangerous path and to keep us on the path of life and freedom and joy when it comes to money and possession. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to pray. We're just, I'm just going to basically read through this passage and break it down because it's quite dense um, and, and it's, it's brilliant. There's amazing things in this passage. And then kind of bring a point. And then what I want to do is just be really clear at the end and say, what are we not saying? What are we saying? Try and bring some clarity um, to this in, say, like 30 minutes. So we've got a lot to cover. I'll try and go quick. So let's pray. 
Jesus, we just thank you that for your word. Uh, thank you for your presence. Uh, thank you for your great wisdom um, and that you have life for us. You desire us to have fullness of life and freedom and joy in you. And we just ask, God, that you would speak today, um, that you would challenge us um, and even, even cause us to need to change potentially um, for the sake of life, for the sake of you, for the sake of eternity. And we just ask that you'd speak by your spirit um, in this place today. We pray this in your name. Amen. So let's go through. We don't have that one's no good. It's, it's right. I'll just turn around. So this is where Jesus starts. Now, just before I start, just one, one really quick comment. As we go through, I want you to notice when Jesus is talking about money, he's not at all guilt tripping. He's not at all just saying, do this. He actually is giving incredibly logical, rational, thanks, awesome, logical, rational reasoning. There's actually a lot of reasoning that goes into this. So listen to this. It's very interesting. He says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. So we're kind of taking this particularly in terms of money, but it doesn't just mean that. It means possessions. And it doesn't even just mean that. It just means treasures, things that we treasure. They may even not be physical things. They may be other things. Do not store up treasures on earth. And he gives quite a reasonable reason why not. Because if you have awesome, amazing clothes that you love, moths can get them and they won't look that good. I was thinking about this today. I, I get like some nice shoes that I love. I break them in and then I don't ever want to buy new shoes. I just want those shoes to keep going. But eventually they get old, they break, and I have to buy new shoes and break them in. They, they, if you're treasured on earth, the moths will get them, vermin, rats can get them, and thieves can break in and steal. His point is if, if we put treasure, if we stockpile wealth, if we have money on earth, that's not really actually that safe. We, we will try to make it safe if it's our treasure. We even put it in a box called a safe to keep it safe. But even that can get broken into. Even that, people can work out ways to get around it. We may put our money in the stock market and it can crash. We may put our money in our house and it can burn down. There can be issues. In like, if we put our treasures in heaven, Jesus' logical statement is they won't last and eventually we're going to die and they'll be gone anyway. So therefore he says, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Again, similar to the approval, Jesus doesn't say don't live for approval. He says, whose approval are you living for? Live for God's. In a similar way, he doesn't say don't store up treasure. You notice that? Jesus doesn't say don't invest, don't have stuff, don't store up treasure. He says where it's stored is really important. And if it's stored on earth, in the things of earth, they're slowly decaying and fading and not going to last. But if they're stored in heaven, moths, there's no moths there. There's no rats there. There's no thieves there. No one can touch them. They're completely secure. And what he's saying is not like heaven as in just like a long way away when we die, we'll sort of send some money on ahead of us. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying the things of heaven, the realm where God is, invest in the realm where God is in what God's doing, there's treasure there. And actually that treasure of his kingdom that we're investing in, no one can touch it. If that's what we treasure and that's what we love, if that's what we store, no one can get at that at all. 
You see, it's quite a logical argument that he's giving. But he goes on, and as we go through, he keeps deepening this more and more. Then he says this amazing statement, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is a really key point as we talk today. We're actually not really talking about money. Jesus is not really talking about money. The issue is actually not really money. The issue is our hearts. And this is the same, everything Jesus is teaching. It's, it's about the heart and about living from the heart. The interesting thing is, though, that our money, what we do with it, or, our, or just our time, whatever resources we have, how we invest them, how we spend them, actually reveals our heart. If we actually want to know what we treasure and what we love, we just look at where we spend time, what we put energy and effort and resources into, what we protect, what we keep secure, that's actually where our heart is. So on one hand, money, possessions reveal our heart. On the other hand, they shape our heart. And he's saying, actually, where your treasure is, where you invest, where you put your time and energy, your heart will go to that. Where, where, you, where you pour yourself out, that's where your heart will be. And he's saying, if that's on earth, if that's just in the things that won't last, then your heart will be there. Whereas if you're investing in the realm of God, God's kingdom, what he's up to in the world, then that's where your heart will be. And that's the stuff that lasts forever. That will never fail. So he's saying the issue is not the stuff. The issue is not money. The issue is the heart. And then he keeps going. He deepens this even further. And this, you've probably heard this. We read it just before, but this is a profound statement that he makes here. I'm going to read through this and, and give some explanation. He says this. This is kind of like a metaphor parable that explains this deeper. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, again, sometimes this is weird when people ask you to do this in church, but sorry, I'm not, this is if you'd like to, I encourage you to close your eyes. Um, and I'll do it as well. So we've got our eyes closed. And just imagine for a second what it would actually be like to be blind and, and you can't see at all. And... and your life, in a lot of ways, in terms of sight, is darkness. Um, your body doesn't know where to go. You need to be guided. Um, you don't know what things look like. You don't know which direction to go. Maybe you've even tried that before. You kind of just tried to close your eyes and feel it would be like to be blind. Just, you can open your eyes if you like or keep, keep them closed if you're still sort of visualizing that. Like, just imagine that. Like, your eyes, if they don't work, if they're damaged... Or if, or if they're broken, if you're blind, your body, for all practical purposes, is in darkness. It doesn't know where to go. It needs help. It needs a guide. Jesus is making a parallel between the physical idea of the eye being the lamp or the light of the body, that when you open your eyes, all of a sudden you can see. You have direction. You know, your body knows where to go because your eyes are working. He compares that to, in a sense, the eyes of our heart and at all our soul, and actually whether they're healthy or not. And the, the idea of the word healthy here, the, the Greek, it's, it's really interesting. Commentators have said some interesting stuff around this, that the idea of a healthy heart that's coming about here is this heart that's focused on God and, and devoted to God. But the word also has connotations of generosity. 
and actually detachment from material things and actually an ability to be generous. It kind of has these two things. So a heart that's kind of focused and devoted to God and therefore characterized by generosity is healthy and therefore the body's full of light. But a heart that's focused just on the things of the earth or the things of money or the rules of a world without God, which is get as much as you can, stock it up now, what Jesus is saying is if, if that's where your heart is, it's not just like a part of life that's a bit off. He's saying your whole life is in darkness. The thing that directs you, that gives you vision and light, if that's off, it affects everything. And he's saying if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see, this is a challenging, deep statement he's making, that this is not just a part of life where our heart sits in relation to this. But this affects all of life. This is how Dallas Willard puts it. He says, Thus, if your eyes are bad, your physical eyes, your body as a whole is in the dark. But if the eye of your soul, the light within you, is not functioning, then you are in the dark about everything. Everything that actually matters in reality, the way the world really is, which true reality is God's kingdom, if we're just stuck here, we're in the dark about actually what is truly real. Another commentator talking about these two things says this. So Jesus is saying, there is nothing like generosity for giving you a clear and undistorted view of life and people. And there is nothing like the grudging and ungenerous spirit for distorting your view of life and people. He's saying, actually, where our hearts sit on this issue affects how we see life as a whole. This is profound. This is deep and challenging. But he keeps going. It's like Jesus, is, as he's going, he's sort of just getting deeper and deeper, getting into the issue here. And then he finally says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Some of your translations you might have read before has, has mammon, this idea of money and possessions. And Jesus now gets just like deliberate and to the point and says, this is where the danger is. That we kind of can easily think that, well, just, it's just money, it's just possessions, there's no problem. But he's saying, no, there's a danger that actually, and, and it's interesting, this translation with the word money there is, is mammon. And the history of the word is that it, it used to be used to talk about entrusting something. So mammon is something that you entrust to somebody else. So something like money you entrust to a bank, valuables you entrust to something. But they said over time, the word started to be used differently to something that you trust in. Different to something that you entrust to someone, something that you trust in. And Jesus is saying that the danger is that as wealth is stockpiled, it becomes something that we trust in and therefore becomes a master. And his point is, you can't have two masters. And we don't have slaves. We don't use the idea of slaves. We, we think of employees. Like you can have two employee, employers. You can have three employees. Like you can have part-time jobs. But if you're a slave, you belong to a master. And you are at their mercy. You have to do what they say. And what Jesus is saying is that either you're a slave to God, either God is your master, or money is your master. And actually, 
Those two can't go together. It's one or the other. And if God is not deliberately master, it's very easy for money to become master. And we might, again, think, well, you know, we have control, but it's very easy that it starts to control us and it starts to command us and, it, and, and we start to take orders from it. What Jesus is saying, again, he's not saying that we should hate money. Like, he's saying that our devotion to God means that our, the, the, the devotion that we have to material possessions looks like hate in comparison. We're devoted to him. We don't care about this way of life. We care about the way of life of the kingdom. You can't have both. And again, this is getting to a real core issue. And Jesus, again, is warning us about this in love because he wants us to have full life and true life and to live with God as God because God is a good God. Money is not a good God. That does not go well to worship God, money as God. To worship Yahweh, Jesus as God, is good. That is life abundant. And this is really what the point I want to make today is the way of Jesus is to use money to honor and reflect God rather than worship money as a God. And that can, again, it's maybe even, maybe that's a new idea, the idea of money being an idol or a God, but something that can so easily happen, and we see it happen in the story of the Bible. Uh, in many ways, I think it's potentially the idol of our culture. We, we live in an incredibly materialistic society. Life is about success, and often success is about how much money you have. Um, and that, that's kind of the rules of the game. And whether you're on top or on bottom, you've got to figure it out. There's, that's not the way of Jesus. That's not his kingdom at all. It's, it's really quite the opposite to that. So again, what I want to do, just to kind of break this down some more, is, is to try and be really clear and say, what are we not saying? What is Jesus not saying? And what are we saying? And, and then kind of tie it up as we, as we finish off. So what is Jesus slash the scripture not saying? He's not saying that money is bad. Again, maybe you've heard a message like that before. You should just get rid of everything, don't own anything. And it's kind of, it's called asceticism, where you kind of just think, if you just have nothing, then that's good. And, and maybe that's good at some stage, but money is not bad in the Bible. Money is neutral. Money is just, it's just a thing. It's just paper that you trade with people for other things. Like, it's not good. It's not bad. There's... The actual thing itself is not wrong. We're going to look at this verse a bit later, but there's a verse that gets misquoted a lot. The, the verse says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It often gets misquoted as money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not. Money is not. The love of money is. Which What Jesus is saying is that money is the indicator of our heart. How we spend our wealth, what we do with it, what we invest in, reflects our hearts. And in many ways, it shapes our hearts. So the issue is not money or possessions. The issue, again, it's always the issue of the heart. But this particular thing is, is a very good indicator of where our hearts are at, which can be very challenging. Again, just this is the point Jesus was making, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your heart follows your treasure, your treasure reveals your heart. There's this link that goes. Secondly, what is Jesus slash scripture not saying? Not saying that it's wrong to have wealth. Again it's, again, it's not saying that it's wrong to have stuff. It's not saying that stuff, it, it, that like, like the material world is bad and the spiritual world is good. Like that's not a biblical view. Like 
if you have a house, if you have food, if you have money, they're gifts from God. They're, they're good things to thank him for. And it's not wrong to have them. Even in the scriptures in the New Testament, there's multiple instructions to people who are rich. There's people in the early church who are rich and it's okay for them to be rich. Um, how they use it is really important and there's certain commands around that. But it doesn't say that it's wrong that they have wealth. What Jesus and the scripture is saying though is that there are dangers with having wealth. And again, we kind of sometimes don't talk about this. Again, I think because of our culture, the, the, the sort of the story of our culture is, life is hard when you don't have much, but one day you save and you invest and you get to financial security and then you have enough and life is good. Whereas the story of the Bible is, is different. There's dangers with being poor because you, you might steal, may not trust God in that state. But when you're poor, the thing to do is to find security in God. And when you're rich, there's also dangers where you may not trust God. And still, the issue is finding security in God. There's some really interesting passages around this and the, the dangers of it. Again, not that it's wrong, but that particularly in our society, we have to be aware of the dangers of wealth. There's this passage in Deuteronomy 8. I'll give you brief sort of background, then I'll just read a few verses from it, where Moses has led Israel through the wilderness for 40 years, and they're on the edge of going into the promised land. This is God's people. He's taken them out of slavery. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years, and every day God has been giving them food miraculously. God gives them bread. God makes their clothes not wear out, so their shoes are good. They get them for 40 years, and they keep going. And, and God has miraculously sustained them, and he tells them that he's done this to test them and to teach them that they don't live by bread alone, but they live by the word of God, that their life is sustained by God, and God gives them the bread that they need to survive. They've done this for 40 years, and now they're on the edge of going into the promised land, and the promised land is all about having abundance. It's about having wealth, about having food, about having homes, about having security and safety. And like God is leading them to that place. He wants that for them. But in this passage, Moses speaking to them is talking about them going in and there's going to be dangers about going into that. Like it's easy to think there's just dangers in the wilderness. Like that's obvious. But it's not normal to think that there's dangers in the promised land. But there are. This is from Deuteronomy 8. This is Moses speaking. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied... When you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flock grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, that sounds like the awesome life, right? Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This abundance that God blesses them with causes them to think that they support themselves and they forget him. It says this, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hand have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. There's actually a real danger in the promised land when there's wealth, because they start to think, we did this. We got this. We're safe. We're secure. And they forget that no, <laughs> they were slaves. God gave them this. And God even gave them the ability to produce it. 
And actually, the reality is that even though they have all this stuff now, they're still just as dependent on God. Like, they, the only reason they have it is because of Him. They still only live by His Word. It's just not as obvious. And that's the danger. In the wilderness, it's obvious that they will die without God. In the promised land, it's not that obvious. There's a deception. They think, actually, we're okay. We don't need God. But, but the reality is they're just as dependent on God as before. But it can, it's easy to forget that. This is from 1 Timothy, that verse I was mentioning before about the danger. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. So there's a danger into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, this, this idea that wanting stuff, wanting security in it, actually draws us away from God. There's a real danger in it. Not wrong to have, but need to be aware of the dangers. And, and this full-on verse that Jesus, you might know the story, which I won't go through the whole story, but Jesus says this statement. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Actually, spiritually, riches make it harder to trust God. And in the kingdom... The issue is trusting God. Like, that's what matters. And, and we can easily think, well, life will be good once we get stuff. But actually, that stuff can come between us and God. There's actually a real danger with that. Jesus goes on to say in that, that passage that what is impossible with man is possible with God. God can actually lead people who are rich into a faith-trust relationship with him. But that's actually, this story says that that's a lot harder than someone that's poor coming to trust God. So you see the flip, right? Like, like it's almost, I almost think in the Bible, it's almost saying there's, it's almost harder to follow God if you're rich. It's harder to trust God if you're rich. It actually kind of makes our life more difficult in some ways. Again, not that it's wrong. It's, it's, it's good. But we need to be aware of the dangers. So it's not wrong to have. But there are dangers, spirit, spiritual dangers with having wealth that we really need to be aware of, particularly in our culture. Lastly, what is Jesus and Scripture not saying? Like I said at the start, what you may have heard before, right? You have to give. You should give. You might have been guilt-tripped into giving before. And interestingly, in that passage that we just read of Jesus, he doesn't do that. He actually gives logical reasons why to live generously. He actually is appealing to our heart. Because when you do something out of guilt or out of obligation or out of fear, it's not from the heart. And again, the issue is the heart. And there's a really interesting passage that I won't spend too much time on, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul, who's an apostle of the church, has, is going around different churches to collect a financial gift for the Jerusalem church who's in a famine. And he's going around, they're collecting it over like a year or something like that. And he's been going to get something from the Corinthian church, but then they've kind of forgotten about it. And in 2 Corinthians 8, he's reminding them about this gift. So this is like a conversation about giving that we're going to listen to with Paul. And Paul like started the church. Paul's an apostle. He could say, give, you have to give. Like I started the church, you owe me, you better do it. Like, like he could force them, he could guilt trip them, but he doesn't. Interestingly, he tells a story about other people being generous and he encourages them to generosity and the joy of it. This is what he says, 2 Corinthians 8. 
Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of God, the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So Paul's telling the Corinthian church about these other churches, Macedonian churches. And these other churches are poor. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. He says there's all these other churches that are also going through a trial, but they're so joyful about the idea of giving, even though they're in poverty, they want to give. They're generous. He says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they weren't forced, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. It's interesting. Paul tells them a story about these other churches that are poor, that want to give, so much so that they're begging Paul, let us give. We want to bless this other church. We want to help them. There's this joy and generosity in their hearts that they're wanting to give, even though they don't have very much at all. And Paul speaks to the Corinthian church. He reminds them of that story. He reminds them of the story of Jesus, which he says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Another place when he's talking to them, he says, I'm not commanding you. He makes it really clear. I'm not saying you have to do this, but he continually encourages them. Then he talks about don't do it under compulsion, but do it willingly, do it joyfully. God loves a generous giver. You see, Jesus, the scriptures are not saying you have to give, you should give. It's not like this is right, that's wrong. And like, I think I get stuck on that. Like, I think I get stuck on like the guilt stuff, like, well, how much should I give? Should I give this much? Like, how much percentage? Like, is this right to have this? Is it wrong? And like, that's not really what it's about. The, the point is, you get to give. The point is, generosity is a joy. The point is, God is generous. God is characterized by generosity. And actually, to have the heart that's like healthy is to be devoted to that God. And if he's our God, then we reflect him, which looks like lives characterized by generosity. Again, it's the heart, and actually this heart of generosity. And in Paul's story, we see like the issue is not how much money we have. Like that church was poor, yet generous, whereas the Corinthian church was probably quite wealthy, and they're struggling to give. They're, having the material wealth doesn't mean that there's necessarily joy. This, this church that's poor has this joy and generosity. Again, it's the heart. It's not the stuff. It's the heart. And, and it's what Scripture is saying is we get to. It's, there's a freedom there's a joy in generosity, not a guilt. Not, and I think the, the guilt messages are just so unhelpful because they, they crush our heart, they discourage our heart. When, when actually, often in our heart, we, we are generous. If we have God's spirit in our heart, we want to be generous. And we actually just have to let that out and step into that as we go. So that's what Scripture is not saying and, and what it is saying. And the point is the way of Jesus is to use money to honour and reflect God deliberately, intentionally choose that rather than worship money as a God. We worship Him. We don't worship stuff. He lasts, stuff fades. He lives to freedom and generosity in life. And often people who get more and more rich are, are less and less happy. Like, actually doesn't lead to what we think. It's a false God. Jesus is the true God. And we trust and find our security in Him. No matter where we're at, we have contentment in Him no matter what. And I don't know what that has kind of spoken to you today. I find this, this, is, this is a challenge. I think it will be a challenge for most of us 
and even as a church. And as we respond um, with anything where, where we kind of realize, actually, well, Jesus' way is kind of different to how I've been acting, or Jesus' way is kind of different to how I think, the thing we do is repent, which, again, is not like feel terrible, really guilt. Shame. That's not what the word means. The word means turn, change. There's an opportunity to switch. Actually, we've been going down this path of money, money. Actually, this is wrong. I'm going to repent, turn to Jesus' way, and have faith in Jesus and trust him and follow him. And there's an opportunity to do that potentially this morning if, if, if I feel like God may be speaking to you in that, that he's present and Jesus' grace and forgiveness is there and repentance and faith leads to life. That's what Jesus came preaching. Paul came preaching repentance and faith in Jesus as we follow and worship him and, and, and we go on this journey, this direction, we change direction and follow him. As we finish, though, I want to just share with you a story that I feel like characterizes this just so well. And you probably know the story. I think I've told the story before. I just, I just love it so much. I'll tell it very quickly. It's the story of Jim Elliott. He's a man from America, young guy, whole life ahead of him, incredibly talented, gifted, could have made stacks of money, could have had an amazing career, um, could have probably done ministry in America and done being like a big style. Some, some, he could have done all sorts of things, but felt a call from God a burden from God to go and share Jesus with people who have never heard him before and got called to Ecuador, to the um, Waldani Indians, uh, basically headhunting like Spears tribe that's disconnected from society. Him and I think four other guys, wives, felt called to go there and try to reach out to this tribe and, and tell them about Jesus. And people probably thought he was an idiot, right? Like he, he's leaving this life that he could have and he, and he gives it up in following Jesus. And it's a crazy story where they, they get to have contact with this tribe. Again, they don't speak the language. They kind of are like dropping gifts from a plane. and They get some contact. And then a tragic situation where there's a misunderstanding of one of the tribe. I think some of the, one of the tribe people lie about something that happened and the tribe just goes nuts and spears all five men and they're dead. They're just at the start of their ministry. Young guys killed to, by the people they're trying to reach out to. And you can imagine, this story just goes worldwide. People hear about it. Interestingly, the wife, I think maybe the sister, and then eventually the son of the pilot, they stay with this tribe that just killed their family. And they continue to reach out to them. And eventually the tribe comes to know Jesus. They're transformed. The one boy who was a young boy is basically raised by the men who killed his father. Like this amazing story of transformation. And and these guys, just at the start of their life, sacrificed, but led to this amazing treasure of transformation. And the world knew about this. I can't imagine how many people his story has inspired into mission and into ministry. Like, like imagine he could have had this treasure in America going through a career, but, but he offered his life to Jesus. Jesus took it. It was a tragic death, but led to this amazing work of the kingdom. And Jim Elliot's famous for this quote. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And you think about the treasure that Jim Elliot invested into the kingdom of heaven by his life compared to maybe the fading treasures that may have been there through a life of career in America. And I think as we sort of take this perspective, that's just such an encouraging story. That's what Jesus has done. He's, he's given up his riches become poor for us. And as we follow him, 
We let him shape our heart, that we too become characterized not by guilt, not by fear, generosity, love, devotion to God. So I'm going to pray, and then, um, then we're going to sing and, and finish up. And I just encourage you, during the last song, if, if this is bringing up stuff, just spend it with the Lord. If you want to stay sitting down and just pray and talk to God, I just encourage you to yeah, let, let him speak and let him change in this moment. So let's pray. Jesus, just thank you that, that you are our God, that you are the true God, that you are the one and only God, that you are the only one worthy of worship. You have rightly purchased us with your blood. You are high above all else and you're the only one who will never fail or fade away. You are with us and you are faithful. And Jesus, we just take an opportunity to turn away from the false God of money and possessions and where maybe we have served them and they have become um, our master. And we turn and ask for your forgiveness and ask for faith and grace to walk with you in your kingdom of the heavens with a life of generosity and joy and freedom. And we just ask, God, that you, you would give us wisdom how to navigate the dangers of wealth and how to have security and trust in you. Thank you that you have entrusted us with, with much to be stewards of, would you give us great wisdom how to do that? So Holy Spirit, just ask that you'd speak to us and lead us in this time. Um, we just place ourselves in your hands, Lord. Amen.